Today, as you heard in the children's message, we do the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is obviously one of the most well-known, if not arguably the most well-known parable in Jesus' entire ministry. We have a lot to talk about it uh, this morning, but let's just go ahead and read it and re-familiarize ourselves with this incredible story. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, so this is a, a very well-known parable, and as I mentioned, arguably one of the most well-known, if not the most well-known parable. In fact, while you don't need to see a show of hands, I am willing to make an assumption today that almost everyone in this room is at least somewhat familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. And I'm willing to make that assumption because this is a story that has worked itself into the broader culture to the extent that we actually have laws throughout our country that are referred to as the Good Samaritan Laws, right? Even in the state of Texas, it's the Good Samaritan Act. And these are laws that often speak to those moments that if you were to come upon a crisis or an emergency and you offered help to someone, you are protected in the way in which you offer that help. You, you have certain uh, protection against any sort of liability concerns because you're acting in good faith as a good Samaritan, right? So we actually have laws in the land that speak to some form of familiarity with this story. And so it's so well known and, and so saturated within our culture. What I'm curious is through what lens do you typically think of this story, right? How do you typically associate with it? And I would imagine most of us consider it and view it through the lens of the Samaritan, right? Even the laws themselves imply, what would you do if you saw someone in need? And that's what we tend to think of, is to act like this good Samaritan. That's a very obvious way to apply this text, and it's a very meaningful one, one I don't want to lose sight of this morning. Think about all the things that we see to the extent to which this Samaritan is willing to offer compassion on this person in need. Right? I mean, he, he offers his, likely his own clothes to bandage the wounds of this man who was attacked. He offers his own wine as disinfectant, his own oil as a soothing lotion, his own donkey as a mean of transportation, and his own money for him to be cared for in the end. Right? The length to which he is willing to offer care and compassion is significant. And it, it should challenge us to question, to what lengths am I willing to go to care for someone else? 
Am I using my home, my car, my resources, my opportunities to care for those in need? That's, that's something we can't lose sight of whenever you consider the story of the Good Samaritan. But I want us to consider it from a slightly different perspective this morning. Right? If what really grabbed me as I was rereading this parable was not so much the story itself, but the context surrounding it and what gave rise to this story. What I really want us to do is think about this through the lens of the expert in the law, his vantage point, and everything that kind of transpired around this particular parable. Right? And, and when you think about this story and the context around it, the children's message did a great job of kind of, kind of point, pointing to or highlighting some of our preconceived notions and, and reasonable interpretations, right? If you are familiar with the Gospels at all, even if you're reading Luke for the first time, by the time you get to chapter 10, you're starting to catch this trend that it's often the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers in the law, the experts in the law that are the antagonists to Jesus, right? These are the opponents. These are the ones that are in opposition to his ministry, constantly trying to challenge him and attack him. And so it'd be reason, reasonable to assume a similar viewpoint of this particular expert of the law. Here he comes once again to oppose Jesus. He's an antagonist. And there are things within the text that validate that interpretation and that point of view, right? He's coming to test Jesus. One of the first things it says about him, that word test can be translated as trap. Right? I'm trying to trap you in something. That was a very common thing that we saw from these Pharisees and these experts in the law. You also see later in the text that the Pharisee is trying, or the expert in the law is trying to justify himself. That means to be acquitted. Right? And so maybe he's trying to rationalize his own elitist, or dare I even say racist, mentality and behavior that he was exhibiting at this point in time, trying to justify and rationalize his actions. It, to, to look at the expert of the law with that sort of skepticism is well within a reasonable interpretation. But what I want to tell you today is I don't think it's the only one. I think there are other ways to view this exchange. I think there are other ways for us to consider what really took place. And, and the more I studied and reflected upon it, the more I was actually endeared towards this expert in the law. Let, let me start by just even that title and what we mean by expert in the law. It could also be translated as lawyer, so insert your obvious lawyer joke here. I left that out for today. We'll save it for another sermon. Right? But, it, but essentially, it's, it's somebody who had a deep concern to understand and to administer the law, the word of God. He was an expert. So let me ask you a question. Would you consider yourself an expert in something? Like, do you ever view yourself in that lens? If you're like me, you're probably hesitant to ever embrace the word expert. Right? I'm quicker to cozy up to the idea of being a uh, jack of all trades and a master of none. Right? I don't know that I would really ever declare to be an expert in anything. And so I think that's where a lot of us would maybe uh, begin and to think of ourselves. Maybe some of you would say that you're an expert or you have a certain level of expertise. And then the question becomes, well, in what? And I think if some of us are honest, we'd have to confess that maybe our expertise are in things that they shouldn't be. Right? We've become experts in things that are destructive, things that are harmful, things that are not necessarily beneficial to us or to others. But that's not all of us, right? Some of us could also claim a level of expertise in good things, noble things, meaningful things, but not things of God. Right? So before we cast too harsh of a light 
on this individual. Let's recognize that he's given his life to seek and understand the things of God, to know his law, to know his word, to be an expert in that. And that should endear us a little bit because whether you're a jack of all trades or you're an expert in things you need to repent of, you're an expert of things that are good, all of us, no matter where we are, have the capacity to say, I'm gonna develop a deep concern for the word of God, for its administration, and to make sure that others understand it. All of us have that capacity. That's why we as a church advocate that we need to thirst for those things. We wanna be biblically guided in all things. So that's, that's at least what we know about his life and what he's given himself to. And yeah, yeah it says the word test, right? He wanted to test Jesus, and that word can be translated as trap. You know, it can also be translated as test. He just wanted to know, wanted to examine, wanted to find out for himself. That's another way to translate it. When I think about that, I can really identify with this expert in the law. Man, if I've given my life to something and I've studied God's law to that extent, and all of a sudden I hear about this new teacher, right, this new miracle worker, the one that's, that's coming and teaching with authority, I want to know. I want to know, what does he have to say? I'm going to go find out for myself. I'm going to go test what this guy can offer. And again, before we rush to judgment on that mindset, can we all confess that there's probably at least one point or another, some season in our life where we want to test God? Those moments where we say, all right, God, show up. Where are you? Show me you're here. Show me you're real. Show me you're listening to me. We all find ourselves wanting to test God at some point or another. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. And a lot of times that testing does find a specificity directed towards Jesus. Right? Sometimes we can get comfortable with acknowledging there's a deity up in the sky, but we want to know more about Jesus. What does he have to say about my life, about my dreams? What's he have to say about my family brokenness? What's he have to say about my addictions? Right? We're constantly testing what Jesus has to say. That's, that's a common approach that we often take to Christ. And so this expert in the law seems to be following suit with kind of this natural inclination of the human heart. How is Jesus going to answer this? Now here's what really endears me to the expert of the law. Here's where I begin to shift my thinking that maybe this was just a sincere testing and that he wasn't trying to trap him. What, what shifts my thinking is the question, right? The question itself. If you read throughout the scriptures and you think of these other moments where the Pharisees and, and other leaders were trying to trap Jesus, those questions sound like this. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Who's gonna be this woman's husband upon the resurrection of the dead? Should you, is it lawful to uh, heal and work on the Sabbath? Like time and time again, you can tell in the tone and the content of the questions that they're trying to trap him. This one feels different, right? In fact, let me ask it this way. If you could ask Jesus one question, what would it be? Like if you had that chance, one question that you could bring before Christ, what would that question be? See, a lot of times when we think about that, we think about it through our perspective on the other side of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. We think about this cosmic Jesus that sits at the right hand of God. And so our questions are often cosmic in nature. We want to know about creation of the world or what heaven looks like. 
Maybe we would just want to satisfy our own curiosities because we know it would be a question that we could be, have answered by this all-knowing being. And so we'd ask questions like, is there life on other planets? Why did you make mosquitoes? What does the appendix really do? Right, like all those things that we want to really know. But I'm not talking about cosmic Jesus. Think about earthly Jesus. Pre-cross. Pre-resurrection. Right, here you are, you've given your whole life to studying this. This new teacher, this miracle worker comes up. What do you want to know? What I would argue is that this expert in the law asked one of the most important questions any of us could ever ask. Teacher, a word of respect, by the way. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if I'm in the audience that day and I hear that question, I'm not thinking, oh, he's trying to trap him. My ears perk up, and I'm thinking, oh, that's a good one. What would Jesus say to that? Right? It's, it's, it's a good question. In fact, I would suggest to you this morning that maybe that is the question we should constantly be asking Jesus. How would your life change if that was your daily question of Christ? Now listen, we bring all sorts of questions to Jesus, good questions. Jesus, what do I need to do about this situation at work? What do I need to do about this situation at school? What do I need to do with my relationships? What do I need to do with my financial situation? Like these are all good questions. Keep bringing them to Jesus. My, my suggestion to you this morning is to maybe prioritize them underneath this one. How would your life change if every day you woke up and you said, Lord, what do I need to do today to draw it? closer into understanding what it means to inherit eternal life. <laughs> it's a powerful question. It's a meaningful one. It's a good one. So Jesus does what he always does. He answers with a question. What have driven me nuts, man. But he does. He answers with a question. And I actually love this. Again, this is something that kind of endears me to the whole exchange because I almost want to say that this gives us a glimpse of a certain intimacy that Jesus had, the way he intimately knew us, right? It, it could have been a, re, a rebuttal. It could have been a defensive exchange. That's very possible. But I also believe that Jesus knew this man, knew he was an expert. And what it kind of reminds me of is that exchange between a parent and a child, where a parent watches their children and, and the children come with a question and the parents like you know this you've studied this what do you say wants to hear it from them so that's jesus's response what's written in the law how do you read it he knows he's studied it but make no mistake jesus has flipped the script right this moment where this expert in the law thought he could test God or test Jesus is now reversed and Jesus is testing him. And I think that's a key takeaway for us when we think about the nature of our relationship with Christ, especially when we're in those seasons where we feel like we want to test God. So oftentimes in those seasons where we're asking God to show up and we're testing him and we're trying to make sense of it, those are the very same seasons where he's testing us. Where's your faith? What are you going to reveal? Right, And when we have those moments, when we're desperate some, for some sort of an answer, desperate for some sort of clarity, what do we often want? We often want the miracle, right? We want the burning bush. Sometimes we'll even take the whale that swallows us up and spits us out, man. We're like, just make it clear. 
And you know what's hard is that a lot of times the answer is exactly what Jesus just offered to this expert in the law. What's in my word? How do you read it? Do you read it? Right? More often than not, I've said this before, the things that God really wanted us to know he put in writing. Right? So when we have those questions and it's an opportunity to to go through those challenges and those obstacles, God is saying, look in my word. How do you read it? Right? And so here's what's cool. The the expert in the law doesn't argue. Right? Again, this is kind of what endears me to him. He, He doesn't counter and say, well, hold on, I asked you first, you know, or like try to dodge the question. He embraces it. And don't lose, don't lose sight of this. He answers it correctly. He knows, right? He knows. He took a chance. Let's see if Jesus affirms me. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. What was the answer? The answer was love, right? It was love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What just happened is the expert in the law quoted two different scriptures. He quoted Deuteronomy 6, right? And, and this was ingrained into the Judaic life. This was a daily Jewish prayer known as the Shema. Shema means to listen or to hear in Hebrew. If you go back to Deuteronomy 6, you know how that verse starts. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right, so he's quoting, he's referencing this, this prayer that was a part of their life. That's kind of, in some ways, the easy answer. Right? Like If you're going to take a stab at it, that's a good one to, to invoke. But what was impressive about his answer is he didn't stop there. He also quoted Leviticus 19.18. And he, and he put them on an equal playing ground. He said, it's not just love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's love your neighbor as yourself. Right, so he, he uses the scriptures. He knows what's there. And he uses them in the correct way. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly when he points to this call towards love right now hold on to that because we'll return to that later you want to know what it means to inherit eternal life love god with all that you are and love others we'll come back to that right and so so now the exchange has been offered but it's not enough for the expert in the law i want a little bit more jesus now it says he wants to justify himself means he's he's trying to be acquitted of his lifestyle. So again, maybe he's trying to rationalize. Maybe he's trying to justify this, this wrongful behavior that he knows he probably shouldn't be doing. That could be going on here. Or he could just legitimately want to know. I want to know if I'm doing this right. I want to know if my lifestyle matches with this teaching, Jesus. So who is my neighbor? And that's the question that sparks the story of the Good Samaritan. Right? Now, now, here's what's interesting about this, right? So, so Jesus begins to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. And again, we don't want to lose sight of those important lessons, right? What we see from the Samaritan, the extent to which the Samaritan is willing to offer love and compassion to someone else. It's a great reminder for you and me that love is an action. It is not a feeling that's rooted in convenience, right? Love is going to be often inconvenient. It's going to be costly. It's going to interrupt your schedule and your plan. It's going to require certain sacrifice of you. That's what love is. What we have in this story is a beautiful picture of what a radical and unyielding love for the neighbor really looks like. So we can't lose that, but let's not lose sight of the fact that the question was not, what does love look like? The question is, who is my neighbor? 
right? And so the parable is really interesting. If you're listening in the crowd that day, you're not associating with the Samaritan like we often do when we hear it. That's not who you're aligning yourself with. You're not aligning yourself with the priest and the Levite. Those are two very established positions that come through hereditary, right? So who are you identifying with? You're identifying with the victim. This is what makes Jesus such a master storyteller. (laughs) What he does is he presents a story, getting everyone in the room or whoever they are to hear it from the lens of the one who is beaten and broken and battered. That's what he's getting you to think about. That's where he's getting you to picture this, right? What would it be like for you? Those folks, they knew that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. They knew that it was a very dangerous road, that it was very common for you to encounter these robbers and these bandits, that it was dangerous. And so it was easy for them to picture themselves in that situation, right? And so here it is. You're hearing this story, and all of a sudden, you're identifying with the victim, the one who's been broken and beaten and battered, when all of a sudden, your chance for hope comes walking by. The priest, the Levite, surely they will help me, only to discover they don't. You ever been there? That moment where the people you thought were going to help you didn't? How lonely that makes you feel? How gut-wrenching that moment is? The despair that accompanies it? That's what they're feeling. And it's there in that moment that Jesus gets them to wonder, okay, well then who's coming next? Samaritan. Now that's the twist, right? That's the twist. Because for them, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. The good person's laying in the ditch. The Samaritan is evil. That's how they would have seen it, right? The conflict and the animosity that existed between Jews and Samaritans is well documented. It was theological offenses. It was racial related. It was generations of hostility. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's getting them to challenge, or he's challenging this innate uh, tendency that we all have. Every human heart carries it. Right? I know what it means to love. I can express myself through compassion and pity and mercy and all those things. But what we often want to do is restrict who receives it. We want to put constraints on it. We want to limit it. And so the last person that somebody laying in the ditch would have ever wanted to have helped them, the last person they would have ever called on for help would have been a Samaritan. And that's why this presentation of the parable is so powerful. Because Jesus is getting them to think about it from the lens of being a victim. If you were the one in need, who would you receive help from? Think about this question of who is my neighbor from a position of being helpless and a victim, and however you answer it then, then apply it to a position of power and privilege. That's the same. It's the same list. And what he's doing in presenting this this story this way is not saying, hey, here's what you do when you see a crisis. Here's what you do when there's an emergency. Here's what you do in a life and death situation. The extreme nature of the story is designed to provide clarity to all the things that obscure what should be clear. Right? What it should be clear is that our love and our compassion 
Our, our desire to be a neighbor to others should be for everyone. There should be no constraints. There should be no limitations. And I think this is a very important word for us in our culture today. Is it not? We love to gather together in tribes. We, know, we love to affiliate with other people based on ideologies, based on shared convictions, based on whatever. And when we do that, we love to begin to stir and stoke these flames of hostility and frustration to those who don't align with us. And we see it everywhere. Right? Think about the things that we think about people who voted for Trump. The names that are often resigned for those who voted for Biden. The way we think about people who will or will not mask or will or will not get vaccinated. But we think about people because of the color of their skin. Things we assume because someone is black or Hispanic or Asian or white or any other race or color. We'll huddle together, these tribes with these labels, and we'll live with the spirit of animosity. And it's not just happening in the world around us, it's happening within our own churches, within our own families. And to live like that is to live in direct opposition to what Jesus is teaching here. So if we ever needed to hear this word, man, it's for us today in this climate and this context. And it is an act of mercy. You think the Samaritan didn't know? You think the Samaritan didn't know how he was viewed? What names he had been called, the perceptions that were leveled towards him. He could have walked up to that man and said, you got what you deserve, and kept on walking. He took pity on him, forgave him, showed him mercy. Which is why when Jesus says, so who of these three was the neighbor? The answer is the one who showed mercy. <laughs> it's a reminder to each of us to live with that same mindset. Show mercy. Show kindness. Show love. Now, here's what I love about it. The expert in the law, from my vantage point, went through this flawlessly. Right? devotes his life to understanding the things of God, asks Jesus a great question, answers it rightly and correctly, and then listens to the story. Think how many times the disciples heard a parable and were like, I don't get it, what does it mean? Right, he gets it. But here's the kicker, what does Jesus say to end the exchange? Go and do likewise. Now that we don't know. Did he or didn't he? We don't know. But what it's a call for us to remember is that it's not enough to know it here. We have to know it here. It's not enough to come to church and quote a couple of scriptures and sing a few songs. Here in a moment, we'll walk out those doors. And the call that is put upon our lives from our king is go and do likewise. And that's what we all have to wrestle with this morning. And that's where I want to encourage you. 
right? If you think through these things that we've hit upon this morning, man, commit yourself to have that deeper concern for the things of God. If you're going to be an expert in something, be an expert in his word. Seek to understand it. Seek to have others understand it. Bring your questions to him. Understand in those moments of difficulty where you feel like he needs to prove himself. Recognize that that's a moment for your faith to shine through. Consult his word and what he's written down. Ask that question regularly. What does it mean for me to gain eternal life? And can I just stop there for a moment? If that is the question you're asking this morning. Now hear me, I hope we all ask that from at least some vantage point of a daily prayer routine, but maybe you've never asked that before. Let me be very clear. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength means to see him as the Lord. Right, it means to follow with what Peter says at Pentecost, to repent from anything in your life that gets in the way of him, anything that you might love more than him, to turn from all those things and give everything that you are to Jesus. And when you do, you mark yourself with a life that is willing to love others with a radical and unyielding love. Right? What Romans 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in our hearts that Christ raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's how we live this out. And if that's something you need to commit to today, then I encourage you, wait no longer. But regardless of where we are in our own faith journey, when you think about this story and this call to loving God and to loving others, my hope and my prayer is that we remember we do so because that's exactly how Christ loved us. And then when our time in this room ends and we walk out those doors, we will hear the words of Christ resonate in our hearts and our souls and our minds as he encourages us, now go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you so much, Father, for the opportunity for us to find forgiveness. Father, for us to confess our needs, to confess our desires, our dreams, our ambitions, everything to you, but to ultimately declare, Father, we want to love you above all else. Father, if there's anyone in this room today that needs to make that sort of a decision, that sort of a commitment, I pray that you would stir their hearts to pray that even now in this moment. God, give them the courage to then go and tell a friend, a family member, someone here at the church today that we can celebrate with them. Father, that you would encourage all of us to think about what it means to love you and to love others with that sort of devotion, that sort of compassion. And that when we leave here today, we would feel that encouragement, not just to offer our answers on a Sunday morning, but to offer our lives each and every day. Help us, Father, to go and do likewise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.